0: by listening to Proof: Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders, fifteen miles away. When police arrived, arrived. They, they found lockdown. the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cop of murder. Becoming a foster parent is an incredibly selfless way to give back to children who need a loving home. At least when done correctly. On January 9th, 1945, a young boy was placed in the care of two individuals who, it would turn out, were made of nightmares instead of love. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the year 1945, when our story takes place, young Dennis O'Neill, born March 3rd, 1932, was a 12-year-old boy residing in Newport, Monmouthshire. On May 30th, 1944, Dennis, his younger brothers Terrence, who was nine, and Frederick, who was seven, were all committed to the care of the Newport County Borough Council by the Newport Juvenile Court on the grounds that they were in desperate need of care and attention. The following month, under the Children's and Young Persons Act of 1933, Dennis and Terrence were sent to live with 31-year-old Reginald Goh and his 29-year-old wife, Esther, on their remote farm in the Hope Valley, while Frederick was sent to the home of Mr. and Mrs. Pickering nearby. It was at that farm, called Bank Farm near Shropshire, England, that on January 9, 1945, Esther Goh called a local doctor and told them that Dennis O'Neill was having a, quote, fit. The call came in at around 1 p.m. and when the doctor arrived at 3.30 p.m., he found the young boy was already deceased. And a quick look at his body told that physician exactly how that happened. Dennis, after just a handful of months in the go home, had deteriorated rapidly. So much so that an inquest was held and when his body was investigated by the experts, They found that the 12-year-old's cause of death was cardiac failure. He had been struck with several heavy blows to his chest and, from the looks of things, was beaten with a stick across his back. He was malnourished, was found to be well below the average weight of boys his age, had a number of septic ulcers on his feet, legs severely chapped, and just overall was in incredibly poor condition. Realizing what must have happened inside that foster home, on February 3rd, both Reginald Goh and Esther Goh were charged in relation to not just Dennis's death, but the injuries that he suffered beforehand. Reginald was charged with manslaughter, while Esther was charged with willful ill treatment, neglect, and exposure likely to cause suffering and injury. However, just nine days later, a charge of manslaughter was added to her list of crimes. On February 13, 1945, the Goes appeared before the Poncebury Magistrates Court for a committal hearing, and it was here that the entirety of Dennis's story was finally revealed in front of a packed courtroom. A story so horrible that women were crying and calling out, Oh God, oh God, while men gasped out loud. Bravely standing in front of his foster parents, Terrence told the courts that both he and his brother were the victims of severe neglect, grotesque bullying, and sadistic punishments over the course of a harrowing three hours of testimony. He claimed that they were given just three slices of bread with butter each meal per day, that this and a cup of tea were their only sustenance, and that they stole whatever they could, even sucking the milk directly from the farm's cows to try and survive. Ravenous and weak from lack of nutrition, Terence went further and said that each and every night, both boys were given severe beatings to their hands and or legs that sometimes tallied into the hundreds. He recalled one particular night where he was made to hold a lantern up so that Reginald could see Dennis as he whacked him with a stick. He claimed, quote, I think it was a big stick because they had broken the thin one when they thrashed me. Taking breaths and sobbing into his handkerchief between statements, Terrence said that shortly before his death, Dennis had been tied up to a bench naked to be beaten by his foster father. First, he struck him with a rope and then switched to a stick, hitting him until his legs were so swollen that he could barely stand. He said that on January 6th, 1945, Three days before that phone call to the doctors, Dennis had been ordered to go outside and collect sticks. He came home hours later shivering with just a handful and was forced out again by Reginald. Not sure what to do, Dennis stood in the yard crying. That's when Esther went outside, grabbed the boy by the hair and pulled him into the house. That was the night that he was beaten on the bench for taking a bite of one of the vegetables outside. The following day, he was stripped naked by Reginald and beaten so badly with a stick that it broke in his hands. Simply picking up another, he did not stop until the boy's legs were blue and bleeding. Unable to stand the next day, when Terrence came home from school, he found his brother in that cubby hole in the kitchen. His feet were in horrible condition. He began crying and Reginald continued to beat him to try and to make him stop. Beating him with his fist the next morning. By that afternoon, Dennis was no longer alive. At the end of his testimony, Terrence told the courtroom that when he and his brother were, quote, good boys, the ghosts were kind to them. But if they were, quote, naughty, that's when the abuse would begin. The ghosts, who sat hand in hand while listening to the accusations against them, never once looked at one another. But by the end of the boy's testimony, Esther, nearly fainting twice, was being propped up by her husband. Along with Terrence's firsthand account of what was going on inside their foster home, a total of 16 police exhibits were presented in court, including the bench on which Dennis had been strapped and beaten. Also presenting evidence was a clerk with the Newport Educational Committee, who, although later deemed too inexperienced to have taken on a supervisory role, said she visited the bank farm on December 20th, 1944, and found that Dennis had already become withdrawn and seemed pale. Neither boy spoke out against the goes, but at the end of her report, she recommended their, quote, immediate removal from the farm. Neither the Shropshire or Newport authorities responded with enough urgency to save Dennis O'Neill and the report was put aside for an officer to deal with upon his return from annual leave on January 10th, the day after the boy passed away. The clerk also suggested that Dennis be seen by a physician, but the first doctor he ever saw in the six months he spent with the Goes was the one who came in and pronounced him dead. On day three of the hearing, Police Sergeant McPherson described in detail the filthy living situation inside the home and how the boys slept on a mattress that was never cleaned even after they wet it. Of course, this was in stark comparison to the clean and pleasant room that the Goes used. He also claimed that when questioned about the state of Dennis's body, Esther said that it was due to a fight that the brothers had the night before his death. The Goes were both committed for trial. Bail refused, and the case was transferred at the request of the council. Their official trial began on March 15, 1945, and saw Reginald take the stand himself so he could tell the courts what good foster parents they were, how kind they were to the boys, and how bad they were and that they needed to be punished. Claiming they were not strict disciplinarians, he said the incident with the bench that Terrence described was a, quote, joke, and that he never really strapped Dennis to the bench, He claimed they all had a laugh about it later. Then came the testimony of Esther Goh, who, taking the stand, claimed that the boys were not her husband's only victims. Claiming she, too, was beaten by Reginald, evidence was presented which showed how he was convicted for common assault against her three years before the boys went to live in the house. She said she was afraid of him and was too scared to stand up to him when it came to their foster sons. Describing how her husband made Dennis go outside with no clothing, hit him in the head, chest, and back, and how he told her to lie when talking to the doctor, Esther now placed the blame solely on Reginald's shoulders. With the judge telling the jury that they could not find Esther guilty of manslaughter, since only Reginald was strong enough to inflict such deadly trauma on the young boy, on March 19, 1945, Reginald Go was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to six years in prison, while Esther Goh was found guilty of neglect and given just six months. However, after an intense public outcry, the appeals court overturned the manslaughter conviction, and, replacing it with a murder charge, Reginald was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Shocked by the case and what the Gohs were able to do in just the six short months that they were the boys' foster parents, especially after Reginald's previous convictions, in March of 1945, a few different inquiries were announced in relation to the case. As a result, on January 1st, 1947, new Home Office and Ministry of Health regulations on the, quote, boarding out of children was created and added a number of principal requirements that would overhaul the foster system in Great Britain altogether. Not only did Dennis's harrowing story completely change the foster system, but it inspired what would eventually become the long-running play, The Mousetrap. Based on a radio play called Three Blind Mice, based loosely on the case and written by Agatha Christie, The Mousetrap still plays even now, almost 80 years later, and is considered the longest-running theater production in the world. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again to hear a terrible thing happened on January 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.